Today is Mother's Day, as we said, and it's not uncommon for people to refer to Mother's Day as a hallmark holiday, claiming the company invented the day to, in order to increase their profits. How many of you have either heard that or said that yourself? It's kind of a, like, I'm thankful for it, but it's kind of a hallmark holiday. No? Nobody else? Okay, good. There we go. Don't lie in church. It's actually not true. The day we know as Mother's Day was first celebrated in 1907 when one Anna Jarvis held the first Mother's Day service of worship at Andrews Methodist Episcopal Church in Grafton, West Virginia, 284 miles due east of the chair you're sitting in right now. Today it holds the International Mother's Day Shrine. So it actually started out as a church celebration. Anna Jarvis campaigned to make Mother's Day a recognized holiday beginning two years prior to that when her own mother had died. She was a peace activist who cared for wounded soldiers on both sides of the Civil War. She had been urging for the creation of a Mother's Day for Peace, where mothers would ask that their husbands and sons were no longer killed in wars. Anna Jarvis wanted to honor uh, this and to set aside a day to honor all mothers because she believed the mother is, quote, the person who has done more for you than anyone in the world. In 1908, Congress rejected a proposal to make Mother's Day an official holiday, joking that they would also have to proclaim a Mother-in-Law Day. Despite that, thanks to Anna Jarvis, by 1911, all U.S. states observed the holiday. And in 1914, Woodrow Wilson signed a proclamation designating Mother's Day held on the second Sunday in May as a national holiday to honor mothers. By the early 1920s, Hallmark and other companies had started selling Mother's Day cards. Anna Jarvis started the holiday as a church holiday, a liturgical tradition, so she resented the commercialization of the holiday. She believed companies misinterpreted and exploited the holiday, which emphasis was supposed to be on sentiment, not profit. Plot twist. Then she organized boycotts of Mother's Day and threatened to sue the card companies. She said people should appreciate and honor their mothers through handwritten letters, expressing their love and gratitude instead of buying gifts and pre-made cards. She protested at a candy makers convention in Philadelphia. She protested at a meeting of American war mothers in 1925 because she was angry that they were selling carnations on Mother's Day to raise money, and she was arrested for disturbing the peace. In 1943... She organized a a petition to rescind Mother's Day, but the efforts were stopped when she was placed in a mental institution in Westchester, Pennsylvania. People connected with the greeting card companies and the flower companies paid the bills to keep her in the mental institution. She died in 1948. She is buried next to her mother. Happy Mother's Day. I thought that was bizarre. That was kind of a black hole that I fell into during sermon prep. Like, oh, I think I'll just say something about the history of Mother's Day. And before I knew it, 20 minutes later, I'm like, I think I'm going to tell this whole story because it's pretty, it's pretty bizarre. Mother's Day is a great holiday for mothers, for children, and for families. It's a day many look forward to, and historically, it's a lower attendance day at our church. For some, that's because they're heading to visit their mother out of town and spend the day or the weekend with her, which is wonderful. But it's worth noting that's not the case behind every church absence on Mother's Day. For some, Mother's Day is at best a mixed bag and at worst one of the most difficult days of the year. For some, Mother's Day brings to mind the fact that a mother had to bury 
her child. Uh, we rejoice over our dear sister Jody Schmidt's homegoing, but let's also remember that in the front row on that day of celebrating her life, there are some who are very weighed down, not because she's there, but because she is not here. Mother's Day is really hard for those who want nothing more than to be a mother or want nothing more than to grow their family. I was telling Sarah, in over 20 years of being in full-time vocational ministry, I don't think I've ever been praying for as many couples who are longing to grow their family and are seemingly unable to do so. The amount of people that I'm praying for to that end on my prayer list is clearly more now than it has ever been before. I don't know if that's just a season that our church is in. I don't know why. I'm just telling you right now, I am praying repeatedly over and over again to that end for more people than ever before. Mother's Day is a hard day for those with prodigal children. I've said before, one of my greatest joys as your pastor is praying for you specifically by name according to what the Lord has laid on your heart. The repeat prayer requests from mothers longing for the salvation of their children grip my heart. It's an honor to pray for you and to do so repeatedly and with importunity. Mother's Day is really hard for those who hardly knew their mom. Mother's Day is really hard for those who have a troubled relationship with their mom. It's really hard for those who are post-abortive. It's a hard day for those who are in a seemingly never-ending process of adoption. It's a really, really hard day for many, many people. Now, in light of this, some churches choose to do nothing to acknowledge that it's Mother's Day. Literally, maybe a, a slide on the screen, maybe some flowers or something, but that's it in an effort to care for those who hurt very deeply on this day. And I understand that. I'm not criticizing that. But I think being part of a family, of a church family, is sharing joys and sorrows alike. And so I don't want to ignore the joys. I want to celebrate them with great gratitude. But I also don't want to ignore the sorrows. I want to acknowledge them. I even want to take some time like we're doing right now to lean into them a bit. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who is a man of sorrows, who is acquainted with grief. And so, if you are sorrowing this day, if you're sorrowing especially on this day, know that you are not less like Jesus, but actually more like Jesus. When we are not sorrowful, but seek to acquaint ourselves with the grief of others, maybe we're the people who say, I love Mother's Day every year, I love it all the time. That's great. But when we seek to acquaint ourselves with the grief of others, we are also like Jesus, who is a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And so before we get into our time in the Word today, I want to take some time to pray, uh, particularly for those of us on Mother's Day who are either here or not here, who find this holiday to be particularly difficult. I think it's worth our time. I think it's worth talking to the Lord about. And so I'm going to ask if you are physically able and willing, would you bow a knee with me before the Lord at this time as we lift up our sisters in the Lord, our brothers and sisters in the Lord who might find this day to be particularly difficult. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of mothers, uh, these bearers of life. We pray that they would also be bearers of your word. May they teach and train up their children in the way they should go, so when they are old, they will not depart from it. Even when the children are already grown, we pray you'd help mothers to sow the seeds that will bear the fruit of your spirit. Lord, we lift to you for the, uh, the woman who has lost her mother, uh, for the mother who has lost her child. Lord, we pray for your peace and comfort. You alone are the one who mends broken hearts and heals the hurting, and so we pray that you would fill the aching, empty place in her heart with your presence, that you would help her feel your presence surrounding her and know that she never walks alone. Lord, I pray for the woman who is battling infertility. Uh, We know you see her hurting heart and the grief she carries, especially on this day. Lord, may she give her heaviness and brokenness over to you. Remind her that in her weakness, you show your mighty strength. We know you have a plan for her life and nothing is too big or too hard for you. Lord, for the mother with a child with disabilities or special needs. You see this mother right where she is, and you know exactly the load she carries on a daily basis. And Lord, we pray that today she sees the beauty in the midst of a broken world and that you would remind her that her child is also your child too, and you know just in what we need and when we need it. Lord, just as you are with your disciples in the midst of stormy seas, we know you're with us in our storm right now. Help us to remember that when the time is right, you'll rise up and calm the storm. Lord, we know you are able and we trust you. We pray you would calm our hearts and teach us to stay close to you during this time, that you would strengthen our faith in you, you'd strengthen our walk with you. We are thankful that you are in the boat with us just as you were with your disciples. And because of you, we have hope because you walk with us and we're never walking alone. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Turn in your copy of the Scriptures or scroll in your Bible app to the book of Exodus, chapter 2. Exodus, chapter 2. And I'll begin reading in verse 1. Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. And if you are physically able, would you please stand in honor of the reading of God's holy word? Uh, Follow along silently as I read aloud from Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is what the word of God says. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. 
When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrew children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go to call uh, uh, you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Sit, stand, kneel. Some pastors are former Roman Catholic, right? Her name was Jochebed, pronounced Yocheved. That's Moses' mother. A Hebrew woman from the moment of, who from the moment of her birth knew nothing other than slavery. Uh, we just read in verse 1 that she was the daughter of a Levite, and she married another Levite named Amram. And according to Exodus 6, uh, Jochebed married her nephew, thus she was Amram's aunt as well as his wife. Moses would have been born several years after their marriage because she already had a daughter who was old enough at the time of Moses' infancy to do what we just read about, watching the basket, uh, talking to Pharaoh's daughter, and being smart enough to recruit her mother, Moses' mother, to nurse the child for Pharaoh's daughter. Jochebed is mentioned by name uh, throughout the Bible, but only twice. Um, Miriam Moses' sister is mentioned by name, also called Miriam the prophetess, later on in Exodus 15. And we know that Jochebed had three children that we know of, Miriam, Moses, and, Aaron's, and Mo- Moses' brother, Aaron. If you were to read back in Exodus 1, you'd see that the king of Egypt was intimidated uh, by the growth of the nation of Israel. In fact, he specifically says, look at Exodus chapter 1, uh, verse 9, he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel are too many And too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And so, the more they were oppressed, so first his first plan was let's make them work. We'll make them work. But verse 12 says that the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. And so instead of just making them work, then in verse 13, Exodus 1 and verse 13, it says, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as what? As slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. And so we went from let's make them work to let's make them slaves. Then in Exodus chapter 1 and verse 15, we read this. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, she shall live. And so we've gone from let's make them work to let's make them slaves to let's kill them and let's kill them on the DL. Right, let's kill them on the down low. Uh, you just kill them as they make their entrance into the world if they are male. 
But look at Exodus 1 and verse 17. It says, but the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. And then in verse 22 of Exodus 1, then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And so again, we've gone from let's make them work to let's make them slaves to let's kill them on the down low to let's just kill them. Let's just literally just drown them in the Nile. Literally take the male babies and drown them in the Nile River. Hold them under the water until they stop moving. This is the world and culture into which Moses was born. This is what was going on in life as Moses was born. He was born during the edict that male babies were to be thrown into the Nile River and drowned. You can imagine the, the, I mean, what a mixed bag, right? The joy of conceiving a child of Amram and Jochebed, like they're, they're pregnant, they're excited, the Lord is giving them a child, mixed with the fear that the child would be a male, right? Because if the child was a, a female, if it's another female like Miriam, well, praise God, that's great. She, she gets a free pass. She gets to live. The excitement of meeting the child combined with the knowledge of a 50-50 chance that the child would meet an untimely death anywhere from hours to days old at the hand of an Egyptian sh- soldier. This is the context into which Moses was born. And so in our text today, in Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 says, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, in other words, he was a healthy child, in other words, he was going to live. Not that if he was like, looked like he had been hit with the ugly stick, they would have been like, eh. Because all babies are precious in God's sight, but we all kind of know they're not all cute, right? I mean, we, we, can we say that? I can say that. I'm not going to point, but some of them are like, oh, that's so beautiful. And other one's like, wow, I hope she grows out of that. I mean, it's just, I don't know, maybe, maybe that's, I don't mean to sound mean. But anyway, all that to say, that's not what they're saying. When they saw that she was, because some of your translations might say when she saw that he, he was a beautiful child. It's actually healthy, meaning when they saw that the child was going to live, this was a healthy child. This is not Jochebed and Amram saying, do we want to keep it? Is it going to bring the average of our beauty down? Like, do we? That's not what, the, what is being said in the text, meaning this child is going to live. This child is healthy. When she saw that he was a fine child, a healthy child, she hid him three months. Verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, right, three months Uh, Keep in mind, people knew that she was pregnant, right? I mean, small town, right? People knew she was pregnant. Maybe she could hide. Maybe she wasn't feeling well. They knew she was pregnant, though. They knew she would have given birth. How long can you keep a child hidden? I'm honestly surprised that it lasted three months, to be honest with you. So when it says, verse 3, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She made a basket for him, made it as sturdy as she could, as waterproof as she could, and placed it on the banks of the Nile River. She probably figured something like this. If an Egyptian soldier placed the child in the Nile, he would hold the child underwater. If Moses' mother placed the child in the Nile, 
she would seek to do so as safely as possible. Death was certain with the Egyptian soldier, and death was possible with the Hebrew mother with what she was going to do. And so she chose to do the only thing that she knew to do in order to hopefully, maybe, save the child's life. Perhaps the Lord would save this child somehow, in some way. But it was actually, understand, it was actually safer. This was the safer option, was for her to take her child and put him in a basket at the banks of a river. That's the kind of crazy culture that, she was, that they were living in at the time. This was the better option. Verse 5 says that the daughter of Pharaoh came down uh, to bathe at the river. And she sees this basket... Her young women were walking beside her. Uh, verse 6 says that when she opened it, she took, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying, and she took pity on him. Oh, it's a, it's a crying child. It's a crying baby. She first takes pity on him and says, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And so the pity on him that she's taking, I understand from the text, is a secondarily, poor baby, you're crying primarily, this child's going to die. Because the pity is followed with a statement of, oh my, this is one of the Hebrews' children. It's not just, oh, fun fact. Looks like, look, he's circumcised. He would have been circumcised in the eighth day. Oh, must be a Hebrew. Let's make him feel better and put him back in the basket. Surely his mother would be wondering where he is. No, she's smart. She takes pity on the child because the child was not going to survive as a Hebrew child. She sees him crying, and the Lord providentially provides all of this to happen. Uh, Verse 7, then his sister, so I think it's noteworthy that Jochebed did not go and stay there. Moms, would you have been able to stay there? Would you have been able to take your child who is essentially sentenced to death just because he's a he and he's a Hebrew, would you be able to take your child, put him in a basket, put him at the bank of the river, and watch to see what would happen? We're not told why she didn't watch. I tend to think that the people of the Bible are more like us than we realize. And so I think, I bet this was, she was so shrewd and smart. This whole, this all was a plan from the beginning and she knew what was going to happen. I don't think that's the case. I think she couldn't bear to watch, but cared enough to have her daughter watch. And God providentially uses this because as her daughter is watching, Moses' soon-to-be mother, adoptive mother, sees the basket, says, oh, look at this poor child, but the daughter of Pharaoh is not able to feed and nourish the child, and so Moses' sister, Miriam, says, hey, you want me to get someone to do that for you? You're caring for this child. I can get someone to do that for you. And and Pharaoh's daughter says, yeah, go do that thing. And Miriam takes Moses and says, I'm going to find someone that's like a mother to him. Takes him back to his mother. 
and she's able to nurse him. Verse 10 says, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. That might just be, hey, we'll call him Moses because I found him in the river. But in that culture, in that time, understanding what was going on then, constantly being reminded that this child was drawn from the Nile was a reminder that this child was saved from certain death. Where other Hebrew children were meeting their death in the Nile River, this person ensured that Moses had life and called, her, uh, called him rather Moses because she drew him out of the water. The title of the sermon is Unsung Heroes. Unsung Heroes. Point number one is this. You should never underestimate the impact of a life lived in faith and obedience to God. Never underestimate, never underestimate the impact of a life that has lived in faith and obedience to God. I don't know if you caught it, if you saw who the main character of the 10 verses were that we just read. We are very excited about Moses. We know what God will do through Moses. Uh, But at this point in Moses' life, he surely was not the main character. In this account, he was doing nothing. He was being a baby, okay? He showed up in this world like every other baby, naked, pooping, expecting to be clothed and fed, right? He, he was doing absolutely nothing. It, it, he did a lot of cool things with his life, for sure, but at this point in his life, he hadn't accomplished anything beyond a successful trip down the birth canal. The main character is his mother. The main character is Jochebed. Pharaoh was so fearful of the Hebrew men that he completely underestimated the power of the faith of the Hebrew women. They quietly lived their lives in faith and obedience to God and accomplished more than Pharaoh ever thought possible. Moses' mother, verse 2, faithfully hid Moses for three months. Moses' mother acted in faith and made a waterproof basket, putting Moses in it and placing it at the riverbank. Verse 3, Moses' mother left the basket and stayed behind, showing her faith and trust in God. This providentially enabled her to later nurse Moses at the request of Pharaoh's daughter and to, quite frankly, earn money in doing so. Unsung heroes are people who provide a great benefit or do a very good work, maybe even perform a heroic deed or function, but don't typically receive the credit or recognition they truly deserve. Unsung heroes, people who, by God's grace, continue to faithfully do what they do, live their lives in a way that is pleasing to God, and by God's grace, they're providentially used to do great and mighty things, life-changing, in this case, life-saving things, for the glory of God and the good of others. And Jochebed is an unsung hero for sure. An unsung hero. Her name is literally only mentioned twice in the entire Bible, Exodus 6 and Numbers 26. She's referenced by the writer of Hebrews in chapter 11. And so she made the hall of faith, but not even by name. Now I'm just curious, uh, show of hands, how many of you were in some way, shape, or form familiar with this account? Exodus 2, 1 through 10, the basket, the baby, the river. Like just raise your hand. You're familiar with this, with this account. Okay. How many of you, before I told you today, could have told me Moses' mother's name? Great. Far less, though, right? We know what she did. We don't even really know her name. She's an unsung hero. 
But that's my exact point. You should never underestimate the impact of a life lived in faith and obedience to God. Uh, Turn over to Exodus chapter 4. We had a women's gathering event recently at which my wife taught from Exodus chapter 4. Exodus chapter 4. It was the women's event that I'm convinced had the word foreskin mentioned more than any other women's event on God's green earth. Because my wife chose to teach from Exodus chapter 4 and verse 24. Look at Exodus 4 and verse 24. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, Moses, and sought to put him to death. Verse 24. And so what's happened, now we fast-forwarded many, many, many years. And so Moses has grown. Moses has been cast out of Egypt. Moses has met the Lord in the burning bush. He has agreed to go back, finally, after going back and forth with the Lord, to be used by the Lord to rescue his people. They're on their way back to Egypt. Okay, look at Exodus 4 and verse 24. At a lodging place, they stopped somewhere overnight, uh, some sort of a... uh, ancient hotel, ancient place to sleep, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now, this seems to go against uh, God's overall plan to use Moses to deliver the people of Israel, right? But God didn't need Moses. Uh, He chose to use Moses, but it's not like, I can't, I'm really angry with him, I'd like to judge him, but I can't kill him because then the people won't be saved. No, that's not what God's saying. And so God is upset with Moses, verse 24. He sought to put him to death. Verse 25, then Zipporah, that's Moses' wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. Verse 26, so he let him alone. That's an amazing little like, hey, this happened on the way. There was a time when God almost killed Moses but then didn't. Anyway, moving on, like, you're like, wait, what? You understand that on a human level, Zipporah saved Moses' life. Uh, she acted in faith and obedience. She circumcised her son, which Moses should have done, would have known to do, because don't forget, he had been brought back to his mother. He had been circumcised. He had been raised in the ways and acquainted with the ways of God. He would have known to do it, but didn't for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't know if he forgot. Burning bush will make you forget a lot of things. right? I don't know what's going on in his life, but the bottom line is he did not circumcise his son. He did not dedicate his son and set him aside in obedience to God's law. And so Zipporah is smart enough to connect the dots, circumcise their son, so God leaves them alone, and the next day they wake up at their lodging place, likely enjoy a subpar continental breakfast, and then move on out and continue their journey to Egypt after what was probably a very restless night of sleep. Why are they alive? Why are they continuing on their journey? Why didn't God kill Moses? Zipporah. She's an unsung hero. Mother's Day gives us an opportunity to recognize a group of unsung heroes in our lives that in all likelihood have had a life-sustaining impact on you, perhaps more than anyone else, and likely at a time in your life when you weren't able uh, to say thank you or prone to even acknowledge it. Mother's Day is an opportunity for you to be thankful to God and thankful to them for the unsung provision, unsung love, and unsung heroism that they truly do put on display. Uh, When Anna Jarvis, uh, that crazy story, right? Like, what a crazy story. Like, the history of, of it's, it's 
yeah, anyway. Very hillbilly elegy. Like, wow, this is nuts. But she had said something that I think was uh, true. Uh, she said, let me pull that up again. She believed the mother is the person who has done more for you than anyone else in the world. Regardless of how you roll with your mom today and perhaps the difficulties that could, or even trauma that could associate that relationship. All of us share in common that unless we are Adam and Eve, we spent the first nine months of our life with, uh, with our mother and with only our mother. That we know our life today because we were provided for by our mother. And that's not even by her, that's by God's design that we started our lives out in the womb. And so we have that in common. If you were to technically try to keep record for everything that a mom has done, I mean everything, everything. Not just like the great, let's say there's great things that moms do, and then there's just normal everyday things that moms do that like wake up their kids for school or quickly shove a pencil in their backpack or quickly bop them on the head and tell them to behave or make sure that they have lunch or drive it to school when they forgot. I mean, like if you were to think of every little, just the little things. Anna Jarvis is positing that no one else in life could measure up. Because she starts out with a nine-month jump ahead, right? Everything that happened for the child happened in nine months, the first nine months of their life in the womb of a mother. And then all the little things. Unsung heroes. Who similarly to Jochebed, similarly to Zipporah, don't receive a lot of credit. What about you? Who is an unsung hero in your life? Who has had an oft-overlooked impact on you simply by their, like, just being normal, right? Their faithful obedience to God and commitment to you. But to moms, I want to say this. The fact that your heroism, and I don't think I'm, that's, oh gosh, heroism. I'm not a hero. I think it's an appropriate word. The fact that your heroism goes largely unsung, I want you to know that that is by God's design. So there's, there's two points of application for us today. For those of us who have been the recipients of unsung heroism, we need to recognize that and give thanks to God and to them for all they've done. That's kind of the no-brainer, no offense. But if you're a mom and you leave here going, about time someone told her like it is, I'll be honest with you, I am a hero. Like, if I, like yeah, I like the preacher. Preach it, bro. That's actually not a win. Your unsung heroism is unsung because that's the way God designed it to be, which brings us to our second point. You need to know that some of the most vital ministries and people in our church family are the least obvious. Some of the most vital ministries, some of the most effective people, some of the most life-changing people in our church family are the least obvious. Uh, turn in your copy of the scriptures, if you would, to the New Testament, to 
1 Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians chapter 12. I want you to see this in verse, beginning in verse 21. Uh, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. So this is where the Apostle Paul is comparing the body of Christ to a human body, talking about how we all have different parts with different functions. Verse 21, again, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Look at verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Uh, The parts of the body that seem to receive less attention seem to be weaker, seem to be less noticeable. They're actually indispensable. Uh, You paid more attention to your visible body parts today than the ones that are life-sustaining. You looked in the mirror and did some sort of adjustment because of the damage that was inflicted upon you from the night before, right? You washed your face, you brushed your teeth, you took care of body parts that are not life-sustaining. The most important body parts in your life are not seen. The most important body parts in your life, which are just, they're just doing their, and they're kind of boring, right? Like, eyes can express and to they can sleep, they can open, they can close. I mean, they can, they can, we can smile, we can frown, we can do it. And then you have your heart, which is just like, yeah. What do you do? I do this. What else do you do? This is my thing, man. I have one job. I pump, pump blood. Sometimes I speed up, sometimes I slow down. But this is just kind of how I roll. Way less exciting, but life-sustaining. Way less noteworthy in your mind and heart. You probably don't think about your heart a ton. For the time that I always joke around, I don't know if it's a a girl thing, but it's a Sarah thing. And she doesn't admit it, but I can say it because she's not in this service. And none of you will tell her because you're on my side. So whenever, I, I find that if Sarah like sees a reflection, I mean even if we're just walking by a store, right, and she sees a reflection, She'll, she'll just like low-key make an adjustment somehow. She'll just walk by and she'll just be like, it's really smooth. It's hard to see, but it's like there's always something to like, you know, that's it. Just very, I'm even doing it more obvious than, than, than she does. She's, she's, she's a pro. And I'm like, I feel like every time you see a reflection, you always say, no. She's like, no, I don't do that. It's like, she's lying. I mean, she does that thing. She does that. What I'm saying is at no point do you think to adjust your liver. I wonder how my liver's doing today. You got something in your teeth. Forget my teeth. What about my liver? Is my liver okay? How do I find out if my liver's okay? Is my heart working? Will it keep working? Is my brain functioning? Unsung heroes. You get a new haircut. I don't know what that's like. Haven't got one of those in a while. But someone will likely come. Oh, got a haircut. Looks nice. Or, oh, you got a haircut. Don't worry, it'll grow back. <laughs> no one's like, oh, you got a good working heart. Brain's keeping things going. We pay more attention to our visible body parts. It's the, but it's the parts inside of us 
that we've likely never seen that are vital to our lives. Some of our church's most vital ministries, ministers, are hardly ever seen. Hardly ever thanked. But when things go awry, boy, are they noticed. Like right now, things are just normal. You can hear me. You can hear the music being played. But if, and we're all just like, yeah, that's just normal. But the minute there's like, or some really form of ungodly noise, we all look at the sound booth and we're like, why do you hate us? Why would you do this? There's always this look like, do you hear this? And they're like, no, we have no idea. Of course we hear this. But the fact that it's functioning right now does not just happen. They're making it happen. The fact that the music sounded the way it did, you think that's because Jeremiah played. That's because, Richard, that's because these people play and sing. It's because Megan sang. It's not completely untrue, but you wouldn't hear a thing if they weren't back there. Just kind of like a heart, like doing their just doing their thing. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 12. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts, uh uh-oh, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. And so your outward parts, your more visible parts of the body, They're technically devoted to the care of the inward, less visible parts of the body. So now we've taken a shift in Paul's mind from the parts inside of us that are life-sustaining to the parts that might be outside of us but that we typically cover up. Awkward. But we tend to care about those the most, as awkward as that may sound. Like, I'd much rather be smacked in the head than kicked in the groin. I'd rather neither, right? But if I had to pick, I want to kick in the groin or I want to smack in the head. Uh, I think my head. Your outward, more visible parts of the body are devoted to the care of the inward, less visible parts. It's the parts of the body that we think less honorable that we bestow greater honor. It's our unpresentable parts that we treat with greater modesty, not because there's shame associated with them, but because we actually honor them. We actually care a lot about them. Verse 24, God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Today we're reminded that the unsung heroes, the unseen parts of the body of Christ, are the hidden heroes of our faith. They're the hidden heroes of our church family. It's the people that just, like I said, they're just doing their normal thing, but they're actually sustaining our lives. They're actually doing way more than we realize. And on Mother's Day, that's just something that I wanted to call to our attention, that there's probably, to some degree, hopefully, someone in your life who is an unsung hero. Today's Mother's Day, we're focusing specifically on mothers, but who is an unsung hero who just by virtue of what they do, how they roll, has probably had a greater impact on your life than some of the most noteworthy people who have mentored you, who have been a professor, who have been a a, a leader in your life. And here's the other thing as we close. 
Uh, the writer of Hebrews in verse, chapter 4 and verse 13 says, and no creature is hidden from his sight. And so whether you're part of our audiovisual ministry or our coffee ministry or our children's ministry or whether you're part of our auditorium ministry, whether you're part of our student ministry during a difficult time for our church as we continue to search for a new leader, or whether you're holding a door in the lobby and smiling or praying with someone after a service, or if you're a mother who shows up at church and did so by thinking of what everyone else needed to be here and likely thought of yourself last, whatever type of hidden hero, whatever type of unsung hero you are, God actually says, not that's a shame that they're unsung. He says, that's how I designed it. I actually designed it that way. In fact, you're most like me when you're doing heroic things in secret that nobody knows about except me. You're most like God when you're doing those things in secret. How often do you thank God for gravity? How often do you thank God for the fact that our planet is not too close to the sun that we would be roasted and not too far from the sun that we would be frozen? Like God's sustaining all these things. I have literally never in my life, in 30 some odd years of walking with Jesus, have never been led to say, Lord, I just want to thank you for gravity. It just doesn't cross my mind, but it's those things that he's just always doing. You are most like God when you are doing hidden heroic things, when you are doing things that, and you're an unsung hero, because everything is a God thing. Whether it's breathing or gravity or the earth orbiting or your engine combusting, everything is a God thing, and you're never more like God than when you're doing countless things for his glory that nobody sees but him, because that's how he rolls. And finally, it's not uncommon that the people you think about the least are doing the most. It's not uncommon for the people you notice the least to be sustaining us the most. That's why Anna Jarvis, crazy lady, Anna Jarvis, the founder of Mother's Day, wanted to set aside a day to honor all mothers because she believed a mother is, quote, the person who has done more for you than anyone in the world. In your outline, as I close, there's a Charles Spurgeon quote that I came across several months ago that I set aside for this day, actually. He said, never could it be possible for any man to estimate what he owes to a godly mother. Certainly, I have not the powers of speech with which to set forth my valuation of the choice blessing which the Lord bestowed on me in making me the son of one who prayed for me and prayed with me. Happy Mother's Day. Thank you, moms. You are unsung heroes, and we're thrilled to be able to acknowledge you on this day. Lord, we're so grateful for the opportunity to look to your word, that we might be encouraged and convicted and changed. And Lord, we pray that today, yes, we would have the opportunity to thank unsung heroes who are not typically called into the the limelight, but I want to pray specifically for those unsung heroes. I pray that they would take great joy in the service and the ministry that they provide, their families, their friends, their loved ones, and that you would remind them that they're actually never more like you than when they're doing what they do in a hidden way, when they're doing what they do and only you can see. And so I pray, Lord, that you would be uh, a, an encouragement to them today, that you would be the lifter of their head, and they would take great joy in the calling that you have placed on their life. 
for your glory and for the good of your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.